Good morning, everybody. Oh, a hearty inhale welcome. Thank you so much for that. I had to prod the day one people because I said good morning and they just kind of mumbled. So way to go. Welcome to all of you watching at home as well. So glad to have you in worship today. I don't have any announcements of significance because it's August and nothing happens in the church during the month of <laughs> August except for worship. So with that in mind, let's prepare our hearts for the worship of Almighty God. worship this morning comes from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Let us pray. Lord, we are so grateful and humbled, and we praise you to be in this, your sanctuary. We have longed for these moments with you, for the opportunity to give you all adoration and praise. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit will move in and through us and beyond us and among us, in this time of worship. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. 
please remain standing as we call ourselves to confession. For one of the things that we come here to do in worship is to realign our lives. Realign them to what God calls us to do and be. And this prayer is a part of that realignment. Please pray with me. Great and holy God, you have saved us. You have been faithful to us. You have comforted us. We have repaid you with insolence, indifference, and indignity. We have behaved selfishly and have failed to live as your disciples. We take this moment to offer our silent prayers of confession before you. We continue. Transform us, we pray. Change our hearts, liberate our minds, and empower us to love selflessly and boldly. We know that in you all things are possible, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The good news of Jesus Christ is simply that, that in our Lord all things are possible. Left to ourselves, we remain in our sin. Resting in God's hands, we are forgiven people. Know that you are forgiven of your sin, and God now calls you to a life of peace. Let's sing to his glory. So we are continuing our August sermon series uh, through the back part of the book of Revelation, the conclusion of the book. Uh, last week, if you recall, we heard about our full communion with God that will exist when things are all created anew, and we heard about what that will mean for us, an end to tears, to suffering, to death, and so many of the things that afflict us in this life. So now, before we read from the book of Ezekiel and the book of Revelation, let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, we will read Ezekiel 43, verses 1 through 5. I invite you now to listen to God's word for us today. Then he brought me to the gate the gate facing east, and there the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. The sound was like the sound of mighty waters, and the earth shone with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and like the vision that I had seen by the river Shebar, and I fell upon my face. As the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up, 
and brought me into the inner court. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now Revelation 21, verses 9 through 21. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And in the spirit he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It has the glory of God and a radiance like a very rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It has a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates are inscribed the names of the twelve tribes of the Israelites. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. The south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city has twelve foundations, and on them are the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which the angel was using. The wall is built of jasper, while the city is pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city are adorned with every jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth cornelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the, ninth, the, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each of the gates is a single pearl, and the street of the city is pure gold, transparent as glass. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I start this sermon properly, I want to say that a lot of times people wonder what pastors do during the week since we only work for one hour on Sundays. And the answer is that we practice how to say 12 different jewel names <laughs> over the course of the week. So I hope that you appreciated the hard work that I put in on chrysolite and that you will give me the appropriate kudos uh, even if the sermon doesn't meet your standards. So we'll see about that. So before we start as well, I want to say uh, a few words about how to listen to this sermon. So part of this sermon is a sermon on the passage, but part of what we're going to do today is talk about how, in general, we should read the book of Revelation. I've observed two things tend to happen with the book of Revelation. One is people start to read it and then quit quite quickly because it is so bizarre. The other thing that tends to happen with the book of Revelation, because it doesn't make obvious sense, is people just turn it into whatever they want it to be. So the book of Revelation is by turns either not read at all or read and then grossly misapplied and misinterpreted. Those tend to be the two ways that we go with this book. So we're going to try to avoid both of those ways 
today as we do this. I'm going to try to help a little bit if you ever decide you want to plow through the book of Revelation to give you the proper mindset. And so in order to do that, in order to give you that proper mindset, I want you to think of your home. Not your building that you live in, not the house in which you live, but your home, the place where you are from. All of us have a different home. It may be the place that we live now. It may be the place that we were raised as a child. If you know me well, then you know that my home is the state of Oklahoma. Woot. A fine place, I must say, to be from, but no matter where I live, and I've lived many places, I always think of the state of Oklahoma as my home. This is our home. Our home is vitally important to us. Our home does all sorts of things for us. It shapes us. It gives us a worldview. It forms us. It demands interaction with us. It teaches us about the world. Our home is vitally important to us. And so this book is ultimately a book then about home. It's about home. And in order for us to understand the nature of the home that it is describing, we have to deal with the people to whom it was written and the time in which it was written. Now, I understand that in a sermon, when you get historical context, your instinct is to start thinking about something else. This is the boring bit of the sermon. I thought about doing it as a song and dance number, but I thought that would actually make it worse for you. So I'm just going to try to give you just a bit of context. The way to read Revelation, the way to begin to understand Revelation, is not to sit on the outside of it and read it from the perch of 21st century America. More than any book, the book of Revelation requires you to step inside of it to understand it. And in order to step inside, you have to understand what you're stepping into. And what you are stepping into is first century Turkey under the rule of the Roman Empire. We all know what that's like. But that's what we're stepping into. You're, you're stepping into seven churches in the Roman province of Asia, modern-day Turkey, in a context in which those churches found it incredibly difficult to be both Christian and Roman. It was a very, very hard thing to do. How hard was it? We always think back and, and we look back at those times and we tend to, uh, I think, either wash over how difficult it was or we like to imagine that, of course, it was actually easy for those people to go through difficulties and, and we shouldn't really think much of it. But I want you to imagine this. Imagine if this were the choice which was laid before you related to your faith. You could either keep your house and keep all your stuff and go worship at the shrine of the Roman emperor once a year, or you could refuse to worship anyone other than God, and you could lose your house and lose all your stuff. It's not particularly easy when we step inside of the story. But that is the context in which it was written. And we have to understand the consequences of the choices that John was asking the members of his church to make in order for us to understand 
what he's trying to tell them. Because the book of Revelation is full of passages that are almost impossible to understand. As I was reading through this passage this morning, don't say it out loud, but at what point did you start to zone out? I doubt most of us made it past cubits. Right? You started to zone out. There was absolutely nothing in that passage that you could get your mind around. You heard about a bride. You heard about somebody being whisked away to a mountain. You heard about an angel talking to that person. It's a very difficult passage to get our minds around. But if we step inside the book, if we hear it from the perspective of people who have to make an incredibly difficult choice almost every single day, then it helps us. It helps us to understand what's happening here. Let's, let's refresh ourselves for just a minute. There's a giant cube coming out of the sky, and it's coming down towards the earth. And we start to learn things about this cube. We learn that it's the city of Jerusalem, although it looks nothing like the city of Jerusalem. And it's coming down out of the sky, and we learn that it is an ecumenical city of Jerusalem. Because on the 12 gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And on the 12 foundation stones are the names of the 12 apostles of Jesus. It is a place for the people of God in the broadest possible sense. And then we learn that it is absolutely massive, this cube descending from the sky. 1,500 miles in every direction. I got on my Google machine in order to help us perceive just how big that is. So we're going to start with the southeast corner of our cube in Fort Smith, because where else would it be? And we're going to go 1,500 miles roughly to the north, and that will put us in Ottawa, Canada. We'll go 1,500 miles roughly to the west, which will put us in Winnipeg, 1,500 miles roughly to the south, which puts us in Los Angeles, and then 1,500 miles back to the east, which puts us in Fort Smith. That is the size of the city of Jerusalem. And it went that high into the sky. And then, of course, it looks like nothing we've ever seen before, right? It looks like something incredibly different. It's transparent, we are told. It glimmers with gold, which makes it transparent. I've never seen transparent gold before, but I'm along for the ride at this point. And the walls, the foundation stones are made of all those lovely gems that I spent hours practicing over the past week of how to pronounce. The most precious metals that we can imagine compose it. And it has a wall that goes around it. And this is my favorite bit of the whole, the whole passage because the wall is about 60 yards high. And that wall goes around a city that's 1,500 miles high. For for comparison's sake, I imagine what it would be like if we built a wall around the church that was about a millimeter high and then thought, doesn't that look great? <coughs> like it's a nonsensical type of city is what we have. A city that doesn't really seem to fit in any of our conceptions of what a city should look like. So if we sit on the outside and we look at that and we wonder to ourselves, what on earth am I supposed to do with this? We find ourselves alienated from the book of Revelation. But if we step inside, we understand that it is vital for us to recognize the difference 
between the two kingdoms that are being presented to us as followers of God. This brings us back to the issue of home. John was trying to tell the people of the churches of which he was the pastor this. You live in the Roman Empire, but it is most definitely not your home. It is not the place where you are from. And in order to accomplish this, he told them over and over two things. He told them how powerful the God that they worshipped was in comparison to the paltry Roman empire who imagined, Roman emperor who imagined he was so in control, and then how different the cities were that they would inhabit and do inhabit. Do you remember all those times in the Gospels when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? This is what he's talking about. There are two places. There are the places in which we live, and then there is the place which we call home. And the place which we call home as the people of God is not of this world. You are followers of Jesus. You are the people of God. That's who you are. And so your home ultimately is not here. It is within the kingdom of God. And no book makes this clearer to us than the book of Revelation. So what's it mean? What's it like? Well, I compared it kind of to this. Like, if you went away to college, right? You went away to college, think back to the time you spent at college, I think back to the time I spent at college. It was an incredibly formative time, right? Like you think back to those years and you learned a lot, hopefully, and you grew a lot and you discovered things about yourself and it was incredibly important to you as a person. But it was never your home. Like as much as I love the University of Kansas, Rock Chalk, it is not my home. It's n it was never where I was from. That's this. This country in which we live. The country in which we live. We live here. There are things we like about it. There are things that help us and form us and shape us. There are things we don't like about it. But where we get off track is when we assume that this is our home, that the country in which we live is the proper expression of our identity, of who we are. John's claim on us is something very, very different. We live here, but this is not where we are from. And that's why the city that we read about in this passage looks and sounds so different from anything we have ever experienced or will ever experience. The reason it looks so different is to convey to us the difference in the two kingdoms. It is to convey to us the difference between the city of God and the city of Rome, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Rome. And we can take out Rome and we can put in America and there are vast differences between the two, but the message for us is unchanged. We live here, but we are not from here. And the reason Revelation sounds so difficult and so strange, the reason it's so hard for us to understand is because we rarely walk inside of it. 
We try to make it fit our view of the world, our understanding of how things are. In short, we read Revelation as if we are not citizens first of the kingdom of God, but instead citizens first of the kingdoms of this world. It is only when we fully claim our identity, when we fully recognize who and whose we are, that the book of Revelation can ever begin to make sense to us. So when we read this passage or we hear it read to us, and we try to picture in our head a man and an angel standing on a mountain and a giant cube descending out of heaven that goes 1,500 miles in every direction and whose wall is garland with the most magnificent jewels and whose streets are paved with gold, and we try to picture this in our minds, we can't do it. But all we need to do is remember what John is describing to us. He's describing our home. It's your home that you read about in this passage. He's describing to you your home. Amen. In our prayers today, I would ask you to remember uh, two of our family members here at First Presbyterian. Uh, first, uh, PK Holmes has had a serious cycling accident um, out near Baltimore uh, while they were visiting family. He has been hospitalized. I th is he out of the hospital now? He is still hospitalized, um, but is recovering slowly. Um, broke several bones, uh, but no uh, trauma to his head, uh, so we are very grateful. So we want to keep him and Kay in our prayers, and also uh, I need to let you know we need to keep uh, Bob Calloway in our prayers. His wife Fran passed away just this morning uh, from liver cancer. With those prayer concerns on our hearts and minds, let's pray together. Lord God, at our baptisms, you called us your children for all the world to hear. You brought us into your family, gave us a new identity, gave us a new home. We give you thanks this day that you are our family, that you love us, guide us, that you strengthen us, and that you also set us among such a large family of brothers and sisters. And so it is together as one family that we offer our prayers to you this day. 
We ask for your presence, your healing power in PK's life today and in the lives of all who are struggling with illness We ask for your presence and your peace in Bob's life today and for all who grieve, especially those this day who grieve the loss of Fran. We pray for our neighbors here in this community. We pray for our leaders, our mayor, our governor, our senators, our representatives, our president. For all who make decisions this day, we ask for wisdom. We pray to you now for those particular situations and concerns that are weighing heavily on our hearts and we offer them both aloud and in the silence of our hearts. Hear our prayer. Lord, as our nation has such a difficult season, as this world has such a difficult season, we ask that you would work in and through each of us to be light, to be salt, to be Christ's body in this world. In order to do your will and to do your work, Lord, we ask for the gifts of your Spirit, for a greater measure of love and joy and peace and patience. We ask that you would transform us, renew us into your children once again. It is in your name that we offer this prayer, and together we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. During this offering of music to God's glory, I would remind you that we have a basket up front if you'd like to give an offering following worship. Let us continue our worship of God.
What a beautiful city. Oh, what a beautiful city. Oh, what a beautiful city. Twelve gates are to the city. pray. Lord, we pray that this offering of music and prayer, of silence and of praise, would be acceptable to you. And we pray that the gifts you have given us in our own lives, you would work in and through us to multiply those gifts so that your world can be transformed. It is in your name that we offer this prayer and together say, Amen.
now may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Well, that was awfully pretty.